The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A little shorter. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. From Exodus You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And from Matthew, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, I also want to dismiss, I think some are back there now, any of our uh, five years old through third graders to head to the back and meet Georgior back in the back, who was just up here. So if they want to go to the back and meet her back there, It'd be great. This is a perfect time to do so. Um, Or if any of you parents are ready just to skip out, you can head back there too and uh, listen up. You know, some, uh, if I didn't meet you before, by the way, if you snuck in uh, somewhere in between the times, I'm Stacy Croft, by the way. I'm the the pastor here at at CPC Music Row. Love to meet you, get to know you. Some of you I may have been emailing with and haven't gotten to even see your face yet. So hopefully I'll uh, get to hang out with you soon and hear your story and get you more connected in our church. Uh, a number of years ago, I do a lot of weddings. Um, a number of years ago, I did one in Memphis. Uh, some of you are from Memphis, and uh, you know, uh, I may have even been at some of these weddings that I've performed. Um, and especially when I was there at uh, Second Prez in Memphis, uh, some of you are even from that church, know that the center aisle of that church is super, super long. Like, it's like twice as long as this chapel. Uh, and so I was actually performing a wedding for some dear friends of ours uh, that um, I was, it, we had connections with, and my wife Megan actually set up, and uh, this was like the culmination. I got to, you know, do the wedding of the, the setup, which was really fun. So Megan actually got to be a bridesmaid in this wedding. And, you know, you can imagine if you, if, number of you have been in a wedding or, or seen one where, you know, any aisle, there's that okay, how long, you know, how long does the bridesmaid take to come down that, you know, how do they, <laughs> and then the bride, because it's that moment, right? It's the moment of walking down that aisle, especially at Second Prez where this aisle is like woo, way long. Well, all the bridesmaids were coming down and then here comes my wife, Megan, and man, I was standing, of course, I'm in my robe and, you know, I'm, and, uh, you know, about to perform this wedding and I'm watching her come up and I'm just, and you're just smiling. I'm just watching. We just lock eyes. It was just the sweetest. It doesn't get to happen very often. Um, and so we're enjoying that. Well, 
come to find out, after I performed the wedding, the bride, um, who is so funny on Friends of Us, she goes, yeah, I had a number of people come up and say, what's up with that pastor? He was like really eyeing that bridesmaid. Like, that was a little, what was going on with, and she was like, that's his wife. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. But like, can you imagine what was floating around at the reception? And there I am like dancing with her, you know? Uh, it's like, okay, see the rings. It really is, you know, this, it, yeah. Um, it's not, nothing shady going on. But it was really, uh, it was really hilarious and, and, and also beautiful. You know, uh, we've been looking at the commandments and the, the 10 commandments. And the first commandment really is about uh, forsaking all others. It's like a wedding vow. It's in a sense, uh, and having no other gods before God, it's a wedding vow of forsaking all others only to be faithful to him, right? But it, actually we realize it's his vow to us, faithful to us. The second commandment is the images. Don't make any graven images. Well, it's us not putting any airbrushed picture of God on our minds, not putting him in an image of what the way we want him to be, but how he is. But here we come to this one that most of us have heard, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and most of us put in a category of don't cuss, and then you're doing okay. But actually what this commandment is getting at is, is the way that you speak and act display a deep, profound love for the Lord? Like, would people recognize it? Would it be the talk around the room? Would it be the way that you talk about God's name in any way, and we're gonna delve into this a lot further, or even carry his name, which is really what a lot of more of the Hebrew means, so carrying it, is it showing that you're a person who's really in love? That's what this commandment is asking. You know, as we've been looking at this series on the Ten Commandments, we began by reminding that the Ten Commandments don't begin in a way that we would think they do. Most of us hear that, that oh, a series on the Ten Commandments, and especially, again, if welcome if you're new, if you're visiting for baptisms, or, or here just visiting church, maybe it's your first time back in a while, uh, maybe, or first time ever. But you may hear the Ten Commandments, you go, oh, they're all those thou shalt not. Actually, the commandments don't begin that way. They begin by God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. They begin not with a rule, but with a relationship. They begin by him stating who he is. Because we can't understand first and be transformed as much as we think we're transformed more by rules we're not. We're transformed more by relationship, understanding those up into it. See, the commandments, and what we're going to see is the Lord's relationship with us gets up underneath those things. This is why Jesus spends so much time actually in the New Testament talking about the Old Testament and particularly the commandments. In fact, he says in the New Testament, maybe different from what many of us might think, he says, I'm not here to do away with the law. I'm actually here to fulfill it. It's not gonna be thrown away, it's to be fulfilled. The commandments find their zenith in Jesus. And they're not thrown out, but they're found just like in any relationship. How do you live out of a relationship? You live out, out of a relationship of what? Do we act as though we are people who are in love? And so it transforms the way we live. And that's what this commandment is. So we're gonna look at two parts of this commandment. We're going to look at what's in his name, and then we're going to say how, and ask the question, how, so how do we carry his name? Kind of what's the positive side of that? What's the negative side? 
And then what's the positive side of that? So it begins this way, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Taking it in vain, what does that mean? Well, uh, especially in a Southern context, maybe many of us growing up in a churchy world, when we hear the Lord's name used in a specific vernacular or connected to another word or with an exclamation point on the end of it or something like that, in a rhetoric, personal rhetoric we use to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in a way, we hear that and we're like, oh, there it is. But actually, that's just the very surface. That's kind of above on the iceberg. That's kind of what you see. But below the surface, there's far more to that. It's a lot more to what's in his name. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, driving back to even to uh, old literature of uh, Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, one of the biggest lines of that entire thing is of Juliet saying, what's in a name? A rose is by a rose, you know, like this whole thing about naming. Well, why is it important? In that whole play, the whole point of the play is the, the Capulets and the Montagues, right? The, the, the name carries so much and, and they have this profound love for one another. Can we just get rid of our names? If we just didn't have these names, they wouldn't mean so much because they've created so much of a debacle, right? What is it? She's trying to get out from underneath that what's in a name? Let's, what if we just got rid of the name? So you can't because names have deep significance. In fact, in Exodus chapter three, the beginning of this, this book, so Exodus, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, is the second book of the Bible. The third chapter, God actually reveals his name to Moses. Moses asks, he goes, okay, you've told me to go you know, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You've told me to go talk to the Israelites and say, God of your fathers has come. Who do I say sent me? And God says, I am. He gives him his name. And in that name is this deep personal relationship. In the surrounding pagan culture at this time, and this is interesting to think about, why does God use this commandment? In the surrounding culture, there was an idea that if you somehow had the name of a God or in the pagan societies, that God that you see possibly in Egypt or in any other place, that you could invoke that God to do what you wanted. So if you had their name, you had not only just a name, you had their nature, you had their character, you had, you had kind of a leg up on them. When the vein is used, in fact, the, the word vein here, if you do a, a study on it, it's actually connected more to the idols in the Old Testament than it is anything else. It's connected to other gods. And what God is getting at is getting up underneath that don't put my name, don't think of me first as anything else that you might invoke in your life to try and use me to get a leg up, to try and use me in that way. In other words, making a promise. Swear, I swear to God I'll do it. We use those, that kind of language, right? Think about those kind of things. Where are the ways that we use that kind of language, those promises, not just in a court, not just in those kind of places, but we use that language itself. What are we doing when we do that? We're thoughtlessly throwing out God's name in order to invoke him. That's actually what they did quite a bit. But see, when God says, I am, what he's doing different is he's not giving a name of like Apollo or Baal or you know, those kind of things where you can evoke a God who has a specific character or who can do a specific thing. He, his name is eternal. 
It's far-reaching. It, it, it's both I am, which is very hard to translate. It's I am pre-existing. There's, there's no box you can put me in. And it's also very deep and profoundly loving. It's relational. It's kind. He's saying, I am. I can't be controlled. I'm not like any other God. And in fact, this commandment, far more than we might think, is actually written very broadly. I don't know if you ever use documents in your uh, world. We have a, a thing um, in our church world called the Book of Church Order. Yeah, it sounds just as fun as it, you know, the title alludes to. There are countless things in there when you read them and you're like, okay, that help, doesn't help me. Like, how, that's not specific to this. Some things are very specific. Some are like, and you're like, oh yeah, that's super helpful. Some things you read and you go, I'm not sure what to do with that. This commandment actually is a lot more broad than we would think. It's a lot more open. It's more, far more than just using specific words for our own advantage, be them cuss words, promises, or anything else. It actually goes underneath that to express the name of the individual, to express that. So when we did the baptisms, why do we do the etymologies of the names? Which I love doing those. Because, and sometimes they're really hard to find. I mean, their names are so beautifully, like just drew up like tons of beautiful, rich things. Sometimes I'm digging and digging like, oh my gosh, what, how does this name, and, but the name is rich. There's, there's deeper roots to them because they have significance. They draw in character and reality. So even when your, your parents said this to you, or you probably do this, those names that you see up there, and now you didn't see the full names, uh, like Vera, Llewellyn, you know, like full, like middle names. Remember when your name was spoken that way? What happened when your full name, William Stacy Croft, so you'd be surprised to know that I go by my middle name, Stacy, and you ask why? William Stacy Croft, whenever I hear that full name, it either means I'm in deep trouble, <laughs> right? William Stacy Croft. Or it means I'm being uh, called to something, right? Or somebody calls me on the phone, right? Or if they use a name or if I receive an email of someone, which happens a lot, specifically for me and my name, they say, Mrs. Croft. No, 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 no. I realize that they actually don't know me and my name. They're only looking at part of it. It's a telltale sign. But what's in a name? It's, it's important because there's a seriousness to it. Think about what God is providing. The vulnerability that God even gives in that and yet the transcendent holiness that is far reaching, he's self-existent. But what it really is getting up underneath is vain intimacy. See, what the word vain means is frivolous. It means thoughtless, empty, without thought or use. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is having a big discussion with the Pharisees who are, you would think are the people that carry the Lord's name the best. You would think that they have because, and they, they aren't the people that we all might think they are. Pharisees are not people that are just out to get everybody. They're actually really seeking to hold God's word. They were the middle of the road people. They weren't hiding. They weren't, you know, acquiescing. They were really trying to keep God's word. And they're having a big argument with, with Jesus about the traditions and commandments. And they say this. They said, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus 
in chapter 15 of Matthew and say, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He said, and why do you break, and, and Jesus answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles your father and mother shall surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have gained um, from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. So far as sake as your tradition, you have made void the, uh, the truth of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching the doctrines of commandments of men. See, Jesus is saying here beautifully, in vain they worship. See, what this is getting underneath is to say that that there's a frivolous use. You can attach God's name to a lot of things and your heart never be attached to it. You can use his name in a million ways and never be attached to it. We live in a city that kind of, it's an easy place to do this, name dropping. Uh, I don't know if a lot of us here in this room and, and even watching online have, are, live in the, and, and breathe in those circles where there's a lot of notoriety. And we may like that we are attached to it in some way, shape, or form. But what is name dropping? Uh, the Atlantic even did an article on it. Does name dropping even work? You know, and essentially comes to the conclusion, no, because it speaks of you're trying to be competent, you're trying to connect, but you really, it's more you making something about your connection to this person. I actually think name dropping is us trying to move ourselves forward at the expense of even the person we say we have a relationship with. So in other words, even if we know somebody really of great notoriety and we love to name drop, what we're really doing is not really caring about that person whose name we're dropping. We're actually trying to advance ourselves. There's not a matter, we're not talking about the relationship. We're actually saying, did you know how, it's like the humble brag, you know? Gosh, I'm so tired because I spent the whole weekend in Cape Cod kind of thing, you know? That, those kind of relationships is what I'm talking about. This is what this commandment is getting up underneath. That's what vanity is. It's less about the way that we use it. It's more about the heart that's connected to it. That's why Jesus in this passage that many of us may have read in Matthew 7 that was read above may scare you to death. It may be one of those passages where it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers, you workers of lawlessness. It's a scary passage. But, but what it really is getting up underneath isn't the fact that many of us in this room may call upon the Lord or come in church and we don't really know if we're going to heaven or not. That's actually not what it's saying at all. It's actually saying there's a lot of name dropping going on and not a lot of any relationship connected to it. Not a lot of love to it. We may wear those things, but it's not really a connection. Not, it's a false intimacy. We're claiming to know Jesus, but do we really know him? It's more of that name dropping. It's an issue of presumption. It's the ways that we do it. Think, think about the, here, here's one way that I think this vanity comes out for us. One way that it comes out is possibly in a service like this, 
where, um, and, and I can even say this, you know, with integrity because I'm, you're not the only one dealing with this, is how much we sing a song or we're engaged in it. I mean, I was over there rewriting something on my sermon and missing half of a part of a song. You know, how many times are we, are we really engaged with the name that we're proclaiming? O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? We're actually proclaiming this vast, amazing name of the Lord God of the universe, and yet it can be easy to come in and outside of these walls and treat it as if, that's just kind of something we do. How about the vows? These parents and you as a congregation took vows to raise these children. How serious do we take those vows? Those are actual promises connected to the name of God. Do those promises and vows land in us as a seriousness? I know we stood together and it's a very powerful, emotive thing, but actually I have you stand for these parents to see you, not just to get them to well up with tears, but actually for them to know in reality that this vow is real. There is a whole family behind them, and not just the ones that came to see the baptisms. It was the church itself. What about, uh, here's another slight way that I think we can use the Lord's name in vain. And I, as a pastor, you know, work in these circles. How many times do we talk about spiritual things flippantly? Such as, you know, I'll pray for you about that. God bless you. Those kind of phrases, colloquial things that we use, that, look, we, it's not so much that we use them, it's that they've become second nature. Are we actually, when we say, hey, I'll pray for you about that, are we really praying for that person? Are we really bringing them and their need, whatever that may be, before the Lord himself? Now think about that. We're evoking, are we invoking God's name in that? Are we really believing that once we say that, we're going to do it? Because it can become really easy to use those things and have Christianized language that may have no landing in the vow and the relationship we actually have with God and with that other person. There's a danger there of our presumption, right? So how do we carry his name? What does vain really mean? If this opposite is thoughtlessness, how do we carry it with thoughtfulness? How do we carry it without being frivolous and carry it well? How do we speak and when we, when we speak and act in the Lord, speak as someone who's deeply in love? So Kyle Mayo, I told him, I asked him if I could use this illustration. Kyle who read scripture for you and uh, was up here earlier with he and Bracey for the baptism of little Hugh, man. Um, he um, is a, actually a, a former Navy SEAL. Uh, some of you in here have served in the military and it's an amazing thing. And uh, talking to him about that, you know, I always joke with him. If, right now you may, oh, he was a Navy SEAL. If you saw him in like a polo or, you know, like a t-shirt, you'd be like, yeah, he was a Navy SEAL. Um, sorry, Kyle, picking on you because... He's, he's, a, he's a cut, ripped man. So, um, but you know, one of the things I noticed as, um, you know, you may not know this, but our services used to run a little bit about noon-ish. Right next door is an NROTC, a naval uh, ROTC unit. Uh, it's connected to Vanderbilt. And every 
uh, Sunday, maybe every day at noon, taps is played, that trumpet, dun, 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 dun. you know, this beautiful taps. Especially when we're outdoors and we do our service, you can hear it. And I remember um, even, gosh, last week uh, when we were leaving, it was kind of late and, uh, and taps began to play. And Kyle turned and stood attention, put his feet together. And uh, I didn't want to distract him. We were kind of talking and he, I was just asking him more about it. And, but for so many people, I'm looking behind me and there's people on the sidewalk walking by and it's a beautiful kind of trumpet sound. But for Kyle, that brings up a lot of different things. To hear taps isn't just another musical interlude and it's not something that's just a memoriam. It's actually connected to a real costly connect relationship. It means something deeper. When he hears it, there's more than just a song. It's a profound way of thinking of both not only his his former life as a Navy SEAL, but his friendships, those who were in command, the places that he went, and the cost connected to all of that. Think about that. that. How do we carry his name? When his name is invoked, does it cause us to stand attention or is it something that we pass by? See, the way that we begin to learn to carry God's name well and not in vain isn't by us leaving and saying, I'm gonna really watch my mouth. It's actually by thinking about what is the name that he bears? What is the cost that God has taken on? What is the gospel about? When we talk about the gospel, the good news, good news, it means a proclamation of something. It's an event. For many of you may have heard this before. Maybe you haven't. The word gospel, gospel, is actually a proclamation of something that happened. So it's news of something that you you don't give your opinion to, you have reaction to. It's a historical marker of sorts. That's what the word was used. And so when the good news that we may know as what it means that Jesus came is spoken, like even we use in the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's also a prayer that oftentimes we say in memory and we may even just pass by it really quickly. But why? Because sometimes we don't slow down and remember what is in that name? What should call us to attention? It's the vow or promises, not so much that we have made to him, but that he has made to us. So usually the spiritual talk and, the mis- and even, I'll say this, the misapplication of the Bible, the word, the scripture, when we say, yeah, the, you know, the Bible says this or says that, do we really know? Because the word is him, it is his word. How do we come back to it? How do we know? How do we change? It's not by watching our mouth. It's knowing that when we sing Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're not just singing something because the law, we sing that great stanza. We sing it because Emmanuel came to us. We're singing it because as much as we take our name too seriously, we need to remember whose name is the one that takes us seriously. See, the second commandment second half of this commandment talks about this. Listen to this. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you read that correctly, we are all guilty. Every single one of us. 
It puts us in guilt. And there's only been one person, one person who has never in his relationship with the Heavenly Father ever spoken falsely or used the Lord, his Father's name in vain. That's Jesus. Even when he sends out the 72 disciples, this is what's incredible. He sends out 72 disciples in the gospel to do the work of, of ministry. And they come back and, and, and they say things like, we, oh man, the spirit, the demons were listening to us and we saw Satan fall like light. I mean, we saw all these incredible works that we were able to do. And you know what Jesus says back to them? He says this in Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Even in the deepest forms of ministry, we want to make a name for ourselves because we take our name far more seriously than we take the name that is above every name. Because we want our names to mean so much. But you know what Jesus does? He flips it. He says, don't don't think about your name being written here on earth and it being so proclaimed. Think about the beauty and majesty of your name being written in heaven. It's not about your name getting notoriety here. It's about your name being known by the one in heaven. That's what a benediction is. You know a benediction? When we leave, you receive that? A benediction comes from the fact that the Lord is actually blessing you with his name to go. It's not about me, it's about, about me saying what he is doing as you leave, that you're, you're taking, bearing his name as you go. Do you know the only way that we receive a benediction is because God did something that we often misuse and misquote and hear, that the guilt and damning that we see here, oh yes, God did damn someone, but the one that he did is his own son. And we don't take that lightly. If we understand what we're really using in that language, if we understand the gospel itself, that word, that phrase, means it is good news for you. You leave with a benediction because someone else took the malediction for you. That's why we can come to this table in the way that we can. That's why this table represents a name that is above every name because this is not your body or your blood. It's not mine either. It's not even the church's. I can't claim this as a Christ Presbyterian church table. Can't do that. This table here says, because there's body and blood, it does say that by coming to take it, we are saying we're guilty. But in receiving it, it also says that we are innocent and the benediction is over us because the body and blood is not our own. It is the malediction put on Jesus himself so that you may live free in grace, so you can live as someone in love because you have been, what, loved first. Who really loves us? It is this one who set the table for us. Even for me, I'd... 
I stand and I proclaim this, right? And we will in a minute. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If he is willing to what? Go to the cross and show that he is willing to take that damnation on himself so that you and I may have that grace and go free. How much is the glorious name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, so that when we leave, we can live out this third commandment as someone who is in love. Praise be to God. Let's stand together. As we do, we're going to recite from one of my favorite catechisms, the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks the question, what is the aim of the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we should use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess God, pray to God, and glorify God in all our words and works. Amen. Please be seated. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, all of you. Do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he poured out the wine. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That is my blood of the new covenant, which means this is the new relationship that you have with God because Jesus himself has taken the penalty that cursing, that damnation in himself so that every one of your sins is actually forgiven in him. You can live because you are this loved. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming something, you yourself. This is the proclamation of from your lips of this commandment. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And if he has come once and he has fulfilled that promise, he will come again and he will set all things right. Amen. Take a moment now. In a moment, you'll be dismissed uh, into the center aisle. You'll come forward. We'll have two stations here, and uh, you'll receive a a quick blessing. You can uh, take the elements here. Uh, We're encouraging people to continue to walk back to your seat. You can take it back to your seat. Stop for a moment. Pray if you'd like. We'll have music playing. Um, You can sing. You can um, talk as you come down the aisle. But if you come forward, you'll hear that blessing and benediction over you and then return back to your seat and then we'll sing our final song together. In a second now, we're gonna take a moment of silence to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart for the one who sees you coming at the end of the aisle and has nothing but eyes of love over you. Let's go before him in silence.